Jeff Ogilvy survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Badley has waited. Curry Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. Jones gets his name on the Stonehaven Cup. Leash been to 11 under. We've got a new leader, kids. Here it is, Adam Scott. A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going Inside the Ropes. G'day everybody, welcome to Inside the Ropes episode 24. Lovely to have you with us again on a very big week this week, not only some of the golf that's been played around the world, but the announcement that the committee of the Hero World, whatever it's called, his own tournament, <laughs> has led Tiger Woods back in. Hazy, Mark Hayes joins us, having just dominated the airtime over at the Asia and having a championship. Hello to you, my friend. And there's so much that's going to happen to me in this, oh, in this episode. I can Get feel ready. it. Get ready. Uh, Mario, I feel like the Peter Gunn theme should be playing because we put the band back together here today. Big thanks <laughs> To Half last week for holding oh, the forward alongside Blakey and Joe. Um, thanks, Half. You did a reasonable job for someone <laughs> who's just a fair golfer. Hello, Blakey. <laughs> Hello, Mari. And did you like Tiger's little announcement of uh, his return? The, the committee of one. Thanks to the committee of one for sleep. That was quite nice, wasn't it? Oh, it gives me hope. Mm. It gives me hope, Hazy and Blakey, that he, the everything he's been through has given him some sort of perspective because mm. it was a bit self-deprecating. Yeah. It was it was a bit funny. Uh, it was nice, you know, and hopefully the Tiger we get to see whatever ver- whatever it lo- whatever this version actually looks like as a golfer, hopefully it's one that just has a smile on his face and enjoys what the game has given him, what he's given the game, obviously, but he just enjoys his time out there. He's not... You know, hopefully it would be great if there was a bit of the menace and a bit of you know what he had in the past, but I just hopefully he does it with a bit of a smile on his face from now on. Well, I think uh, one year he, he actually won that event, his own event, and uh, I don't know whether you've ever seen the footage of it, Hazy, but he, he went to the presentation and usually he presents the trophy to whoever wins it. <laughs> he won it, so he said, oh, I've always wanted to do this, so congratulations, Tiger, and he started <laughs> talking to himself, <laughs> right. you know, which is quite amusing. So there is a sense of humour in there somewhere. So, look, it's great to have him back. I think uh, I want to set a low bar for this. Yeah, I don't want to get yeah. people to get too excited about it because it's a long way from back fusion surgery to winning tournaments on the PGA Tour or major tournaments. So let's just see how he goes. Maybe he can just get to play some golf and that would be great. I second everything you just said, Blakey. I just don't think that he's capable of winning something in the near future. But that said, you know, his best is the best. How far removed from that, we don't know. So set the low bar, see what happens. Uh, Andy, I've got more of an axe to grind against the actual tournament, to be honest. Well, we've got a very big show coming up. Jack Newton, not too far away from joining us as we continue our road to the Open. And you've got a fantastic story about the old and the young going head-to-head in a club championship, which we'll get to towards the end of the show. But don't let me stop you while you're on a roll. Well, I don't want to talk about it for too long, but this is an event that uh, is neatly tucked uh, maybe one or two weeks after the last fall series in inverted commas Craig event uh, on the wraparound USPGA Tour it automatically takes away the 20 best, in theory, but money-hungry players in the USPGA Tour. I can say that. No one's 
you know, going to bite me for that. Uh, meanwhile, the poor Australian tour struggles to attract people. And, you know, we all hear about um, Thanksgiving and the long season and the representative duties for the Ryder Cup or the President's Cup. It's absolutely mystifying how they can all get out of bed and fly over to the Bahamas for a week. Uh, you know, honestly, stop stop pulling our chain, you guys. Start speaking fair income to the average golf fan. I'm sick of it. I'm absolutely sick of it. And, you know, surely there's another week in the year where this tournament can be held. Don't deprive the, the outpost, as I heard one of the uh, Augusta National members say at Royal Wellington this week. Don't deprive the outpost of their two milliseconds in the sun. So even that language doesn't help. Oh, I mean, mate. even that, that language is a window into the soul and psyche <laughs> of American, the American hardcore golf fraternity. I, it, it, it riles me. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of a bit of a tinderbox here ready to go today because there's so many things that are annoying me. And we've got our season coming up here and we should be celebrating the yep. return of all the Australian players, you know, just across the board and maybe one or two others and the interest of the world golfing community. Instead, naturally, we're all, and this is the week of the Australian PGA Championship, yeah. which has got a ripping field. It's been bolstered this morning by Mark Leishman. Instead, we're going to be talking about a bloke who may or may not be able to fly economy class across to the Bahamas because his back's knackered. Uh-huh. Oh, that's, it's just wrong to me. Yeah. I understand. It's Tiger Woods, the best player ever was. I get all that. But seriously, this is the wrong time of the year. We've got two weeks in this country to shine, and this is wrong. Does, what, what's the solution, Blakey? Uh, more money, I think. But, uh, you know, there is no real solution. I mean, you, you've got to have bigger yeah. prize pools. But they play for enough. I don't reckon it is the money. I mean, they're partly playing. that. And, the, and the, the distance is an issue. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a three or four things, but, but I, don't I'm give not me, sure whether it's easily solvable. Don't give me this crap about I'm too tired to come to Australia. You're not too tired to jump on a plane and fly from Chattanooga to across to the Miami and then out to the Bahamas. Mm. I mean... What do you think about this, Andy? Oh, I agree. Oh, look, I, I, your frustration is shared by all lovers of Australian golf. Yeah. Because we want, we think we've got the great courses, some of the great golf courses in the world. We think we've got a great, we've got a couple of great championships that deserve. You know, the th- the thing that annoys me about it is that our place in in world golf is established. You know, Australian men and women golfers have been, you know, some of the great champions of the game. So for international players to come to Australia and potentially put their name on one of these trophies should be incentive enough to just make them go, oh, before I finish my career, I want to do that. I want to go down and see what these great courses are. What we are reduced to every single year is please come down, Mm. grovel, beg, get on your knees, pray to God that the Australian players are going to commit if they can. And we understand occasionally there are professional reasons, qualifying schools and you yeah. know that sort of stuff, that precludes them from, from Another, being another event, exactly. like the President's Cup. A, a, yeah. a genuine you know, reason it's for Appearance money too, Andy. That's, you know, that yeah. becomes part of the well, issue Well, it does, as well. unfortunately, Blakey. But yeah. it'd just be nice if we, if we didn't have to beg... Mm. Um, and just hold our breath, hoping that we're going to get you know um, good representation. Couldn't agree more. And I, I, I hope one day in the next few months on this program, whenever we come back after Christmas, that we can have an expose on appearance money because mm. I think it would just be 
you know, gut wrenching to the okay. average golf fan. So, so okay, talk to no, me about it's never public, is it? No, never public. And I'm not, mm. I'm not saying I've got any intimate knowledge of it, mm. but you know, you get the feeling about it. One other thing, but Andy, before you go here, during the year, and Bob Harrig was a guest on our, one of our earlier shows, ripping bloke, Crap. great guy from ESPN, got a great sense of global golf. And he was involved in a conversation about the US PGA Championship being called the PGA Championship on Twitter with a few other people. And he was saying, it, that's, that's its name. It's the PGA Championship. And we all say it's the US PGA because it, it is the <laughs> US PGA. And he was actually uh, actively involved in saying why it should just be the PGA Championship, which I think is a really hard position to defend, especially it when... Was no, it? it's after the Australian PGA Championship. Okay. It's after the Canadian PGA Championship. It's, it's not even remotely the first... Like the US Open is behind the British Open only. And then I think it goes South Africa, Canada, Australia in quick order. But the US PGA Championship, this is, I'm, I'm on semantics here, but the US PGA Championship is the third or fourth different PGA Championship to get started. It has not got some God given title to the PGA Championship. Yeah. But this is the attitude we're confronting here, even yeah. from learned people. And I, it it just does my head in. I'm sure you can sense my angst over the microphone. I like it. Here. I like tell, it. Tell me, Hazy, about Mark Leishman because we're very happy that he's coming to play the Thrilled. Australian PGA. It's great. Royal Pines, end of the month. He's had a great year. That's a great get for them. The release says that that's exclusive. So I'm presuming from that, Hazy, that he's not going to come and play the Open at uh, Royal Sydney. Okay, so we're recording. Oh, sorry, the Australian. We're recording this, uh, you know, Thursday morning, and I, I haven't had a chance to discuss that with anyone in our office. But the word exclusively tends to suggest that he's not playing the Australian Open. I understand that talks are still underway. They obviously uh, wanted him to play. Yeah, and I yeah. think I think those talks are still ongoing as far as I'm aware. So we're hopeful that he'll play, which would render that word uh, incorrect. But, you know, I'm, first and foremost, I'm really glad he's playing. <laughs> he, he is the draw card, arguably, of the Australian uh, golfing year. And I'm, I'm, he's about a dollar one favourite to win the Greg Norman medal, I would imagine. He'd have to win that. Yeah, and which is, you know, one of the reasons he's in the Gold Coast, which is, which is fa- also fantastic. Uh, Tick, tick, tick for everyone involved. Uh, I really hope that uh, money isn't a factor in discussions around the Australian Open. If there's another reason, that's fine. But he's obviously in the country at some point nearby there. So I hope he plays. Uh, He's a great bloke, Mark Leishman. I I love him like a brother. But, uh, you know, it's it's another case in point. So we hope that he plays. And I understand if he can't for personal or family reasons, that's obviously the priority. But as we speak, it does sound like it's PGA only. So just getting back before we get away from it, the appearance fee issue. Do players hide behind... Are they comfortable hiding behind managers on this one? Or do managers get that far out in front of players that when um, tours around the world are looking to attract a player, um, that the player may not even know about it because the agent's just saying, it's this or don't bother? I, I think column B. So I think the latter of the two okay. alternatives you suggested. Um the big problem, Andy, lies in the fact. Uh, let's. I'll use a different country so we don't get yep, confused. Yep, yep. So if if Greg Turner um, is to play the New Zealand Open and he's being offered fifty thousand dollars to play the New Zealand Open, mm. then Michael Hendry will go, "What the hell? Mm. I haven't been offered any money. I'm not going to play unless I get eighty thousand. I've done stuff since Greg Turner was, you know, uh, you know, anything relevant." Phil Tatarangi goes, are you kidding? He's getting 50 grand. I've, I've done you know as many things as he has. I want 100 grand. Mm. Uh, Lee, Danny Lee, you go, are you guys kidding? I've been on the President's Cup. I want 300,000. And the bidding war goes up. Mm. Um, if we had a in Australia 
and obviously New Zealand, a, a, a rule perhaps that we need to work to. No appearance fees for Australian players. I think that's maybe you get airfares and accommodation. I don't know what it is, but, then, but we need a we need a, a a bar set so that there's no comparison. If we need to pay Jordan Spieth or or Sergio Garcia to come to Australia, so be it. You know, we have got to make them track around the world for a title that they really couldn't care about. Mm. But uh, you know, within reason, I'm saying that. But you know, the Australian. I know, I know, just so we're clear on that, I know exactly what you mean by that. That title is very important to everybody who's having this conversation and involved in Australian golf. But to an international player who's particularly one that might be born in the United States of America, now, sort of post 19. Well, 80. Yeah, they, they don't. Winning the Australian Open isn't what it was to Jack Nicholas. No, absolutely not. No. And, and, and this is the key. So if you've ever played a Chook, Chook, Chook run at Wanneroo mm. Golf Club, or ever gone out for a you know turf surf and turf at the Indrapilly Golf Club? Uh, you're playing the Australian Open for free, knackers. Yeah. I don't care. I don't care. That's that needs to so be we, our position. We've we been down this track, Andy, about ten years ago. I remember when the old AGU at about two thousand three, four, somewhere around there. The Australian players weren't getting appearance money at that point. At least uh, you know the ones that weren't Greg Norman, probably. Yeah. Um, so you know they they got uh, you know upset because. The, the AGU were paying sort of low-level overseas players, whoever they could get their hands on, and they were giving appearance money to them. So the Robert Allenbys and the Stuart Applebys, who were playing on the US tour and winning tournaments, mm. they started to get angry about that. So at one point they had a rule that you had to, to pay appearance money. It had to be someone who'd won a major, I think. Uh, but I don't believe that that's the case now. It's just kind of uh, market rules as things stand at the moment. I can look... Hey, I can understand that. I can understand, you know, the two, the Appleby, Allenby, insert other names. I can understand them looking at what promoters in Australia are doing to get a second or third tier European player down here mm-hmm. just because yeah. he, you know, might have finished top 10 in a, you know, whatever, some European tour event, maybe was a, you know, the 12th player on a Ryder Cup team, mate, whatever, you know. I can understand them thinking, well, hang on, if there's money around. A QED, I've done more than him. So mm-hmm. I can understand that. But it's the death of the local tour. It, and, and it, you could not have said that better, Andy. It can't and, work. And we the can't problem sustain is that down with, here. with, let's just go through the immediate, still still present, but let's say past, in inverted commas again, generation of Allenby, Appleby, Senden, Pampling, Ogilvy, all those guys in that magnificent era, um, if they all get by definition, $100,000 because that's their scale, there's 10 lots of $100,000 that would otherwise potentially be on top of the prize pool, which would make the tournament a $2.5 million tournament, would suddenly get the European second-tier players going, I want to come down there because it's actually worthwhile coming and I'll get to play on a good course in a better city than the European Tour alternative on the week. Mm, mm. I mean, we need to get fair income as a golfing country and a community. Bit of meat on the bone of that one. Uh, there's a lot to think Fight about. Up, discuss. Andy. I like it, Hazy, when you're like this. You're in very good form. We've got a very special guest who's about to join us as we continue our road to the Open Series. I reckon he might have a thought on uh, a bit of this stuff as well. The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch your golf link number into the box at the top of the homepage. 
stage. Who knows, maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures. While you're on the site, check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, read the latest golf news from home and abroad, listen to Australian golf podcasts and interviews, and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au today. The home of Australian golf. Peter Senior here. Really enjoy listening inside the ropes. Guys have always got something very interesting to talk about. Hope you enjoyed the program. Try to continue our road to the Open Series, and uh, this man could have won several. He could have won several uh, around the time that he won his Australian Open in 1979 at Metropolitan. He was a huge, huge figure in Australian golf here and internationally and one of the great contributors to the game since he's finished playing. Of course, we speak of Jack Newton and he joins us on Inside the Ropes. Jack, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks. It's great to be with you guys. Just before we get going on uh, your memories from 79 and a couple of other near misses and some of the great players that you were competing against you know, down here for a National Open. We, we've just been having a pretty spirited conversation about you know, where the tour sits now down here and um, the legitimacy of you know, kind of appearance money for you know, local players, Australian players, particularly to play in our Australian majors, um, if you like. Have you got a view, you know, a sort of broad sweep view on that, Jack? I think the first thing to recognise is the fact that golf's in the doldrums in this country and everywhere else the game's flying. So I just can't put my finger on... uh, I think there's a lack of, uh, certainly, uh, the media coverage of of some of the golfers we've got playing around the world. Uh, And there doesn't seem to be any interest in that from the journalist's point of view. and I think that's having a knock-on effect right down the line where our prize money's not up to scratch where it should be. Uh, and, of course, then we get back to uh, your issue of uh, appearance money. And I think that really depends on the type of player and what they've done and everything like that. But I would have thought that most Australians would entertain the idea of playing uh, in their home country without asking for an appearance fee. I, I mean, I'm, I just don't know why people like Jason Day haven't been here in the last three or four years um, when, uh, you know, he's one of the world's best, has been number one. Uh, now, someone like him, you'd probably pay him if he's a world number one. Uh, in my day, of course, Greg got all the money. Uh, and Peter Senior, who uh, I thought at that time was as good as as good as um, Greg um, I think he won seven times uh, or eight times and Greg won about six or seven so um, you know those are sort of issues that get involved with locals who uh, got their hand out for appearance money There's so much there in the answer to that question Mm. Is there a solution? I mean the global um, calendar Jack is you know better than us is so tightly held now and you know, the American creep just continues into you know, 49 of the 52 weeks now. Have we got any hope, do you think? We're all positive and we love it around here and we want to talk it up. But can you see yeah. a way of us kind of getting our local tour off the mat? Well, I think hit the nail on the head there with American creep. I just went over to the Junior President's Cup to see what, how they ran it. And it was the first time that it had been done. It was in New Jersey. 
And uh, as you know, junior golf in this country is under 18. You get over there and the Yanks have got four Americans in there who are 19. <laughs> uh, oh, no. So they just change, change the rules as they go along the bath. You know? <laughs> <laughs> they all dro- pulled up in their cars, did they, with their beards? <laughs> yeah. Well, what they do is over there, if, uh, if they decide to go to college outside of uh, high school, they get an extra year. <laughs> now, I tried to bring in under 19 here because I know what the kids are going through during their HSC year mm. when they're, you know, 18 or just about to turn 18. And uh, it, I have kids coming to me all the time at, at events saying, oh, Jack, this, this HSC is doing my head in, you know, and, uh, you know, it makes it difficult to play decent golf. So I thought under 19 would have been a good way to go because what happens with a lot of the kids that come through my foundation or play in my events or our events I should say um, basically uh, you know under 19 wouldn't be a bad move I changed it at one stage and then I got ordered by Golf Australia to change it back but I feel like what happens is they come through the junior programs that we do and suddenly they get turn 18 and they're out during their HSC year and they go, well, what, what do I do now? I'm in the wilderness. And that's basically what happens. Uh, when I was a young bloke, uh, you know, junior golf was under 21 and then they made it under 18. But that's not all the countries are sticking to that. You know, that's the point. I'm, I'm employed by GA these days, Jack, but uh, I'm interested to hear what they said to you. Like, why? what's the reasoning behind no under-19s? Who, Golf Australia or yeah. the Yanks? No, Golf... Uh, well, clearly the Yanks haven't got any rules. They just make them up, but... No, yeah. they just make them up as they go along, you know. <laughs> but there's a lot of logic behind your, your reasoning there. And, and you know, your your Jack Newton Golf Foundation and tour is, is thriving. Um, you know, so you obviously... You're at the coalface. You see a lot of these kids, and I'm, I'd be interested to know the reasoning behind GA's verdict there. Yeah, well, it's... it's, it's um I think what happens is uh, probably we spoil them a bit uh, and then they suddenly turn 18 uh, halfway through the year or, you know, I had a, uh, one of our boys that was uh, playing for the rest of the world team uh, in the, uh, against the Americans over there. Uh, um, he was trying to do his HSC while, while he was there playing against the Yanks. I mean, it was... And he played terrible, you know, which not is not his go. Um, but, you know, that's the situation as it is. But I think if the Americans are going to do that, I think we've got to go the same way uh, so that we're on an evil, uh, level footing uh, across the board. So fight fire with fire, basically. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that... Um, I think the girls would get some benefit out of that as well because, you know, it's... A, mm. uh, Although we've got some fantastic young girls at the moment uh, who you're going to hear about in the future. I um, mean, one of the girls, for example, uh, she's 14 and she shot eight under par at Cessnock. Course <laughs> wow. Eight under par when you're 14. I'm What's very... her name, Jack? Her name is Sophie Yip. Right, oh, we'll, yeah. we'll put that one in the blackboard. Bit of an right. unfortunate surname for a golfer, <laughs> but it doesn't, it doesn't deter her, I can guarantee you that. <laughs> Jack, you, uh, you've gone straight to your Junior Golf Foundation, which is one of the, well, it would be the biggest in Australia outside of, I guess, what Golf Australia or the States do, but uh, 
it means a lot to you, doesn't it? It was kind of uh, almost forced upon you, I guess, because at 33 you had the accident that everyone knows about with the uh, propeller on the on the Cessna at Sydney Airport, and you couldn't play at a pro level anymore, and you, you kind of moved into that, didn't you? And you sort of went into it with as much passion as you did into your golf, your pro golf. Well, actually, I started uh, funding a tournament at Cessna, where I was born, uh, in 1979, and uh, so you're already onto it. We were already doing something there, and then it grew and grew and grew, and then we got to sort of the mid 80s, and uh, I said to John Lennison, who was my offsider up there, I said, "Listen, I think we need to expand this and invite, um, you know." Uh, my suggestion to each state was you send one kid who's never travelled much, uh, younger, and an older kid who's who's uh, had a bit more experience in both the boys and the girls. And all the states came back to us. We paid for accommodation, etc. Um, and that's how we sort of kicked off. And then I la- launched uh, the Junior Golf Foundation in 1986. So I was already on that track because I felt like uh, compared to when I came through, uh, there didn't, didn't seem to be a whole lot going on for the juniors and uh, pretty much uh, all that was available, quite frankly, was uh, to get in the interstate team, you know, to, to go and play somewhere against the rest of the country. So uh, it's something I am passionate about. I always have been passionate about and... Uh, uh, I think the powers that be in both state and national level, uh, it was a form of the game that was being totally unrecognised. And when you boil it all down, it's actually the future of the game. And, uh, uh, you know, so I've had some ding-dongs with various people about this issue and uh, now they've all sort of caved in and said, yeah, he's right. So, I reckon you could be pretty influential when you wanted to, when you put your mind to a jack somehow. Well, I'm a bit of a determined bastard, as <laughs> <Right>. you probably know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you mentioned 1970. Look, your work. We should reckon, We should just mention. Most people listening will know this, but you know your work um, beyond what you did with a golf club in your own hand, but your work. You know, encouraging and developing youth was very much at the heart of you receiving your OAM, and that has been recognised by people who do care about this sort of stuff. So, um, you know, it hasn't gone completely unnoticed by those, um, you know, the powers that be. You, you mentioned '79 on the way through, and I think we'll get back to a lot of this other stuff. But we are here to remember, you know, you're winning your Australian Open, which was in 1979 at Metro. And you just look at the top four that year, Newton, Marsh, Norman, Shearer, and then the rest of the field, I'm sure the boys will talk to you about. Uh, they, We like to think that we're on the verge of a bit of a gold, or living you know, in the early stages of a bit of a golden era right now, Jack, but gee, it was, it was a tough school back in those days, wasn't it? I mean, to win a tournament here, uh, it was it was pretty deep. I mean, the top end of the, you know, the, the deep end of the pool in Australian golf then had a lot of people swimming in it. Yeah, well, I think when I won the Australian Open in 79, I don't think uh, we had an Australian win the Australian Open because it was the era of necklace and player, and you can throw Palmer in there on occasions as well. 
so it was very difficult to win an Australian Open against, you know, what would have been, you know, the big three, quite frankly. And uh, uh, I think that uh, it was a bit of a breakthrough uh, for Australian golf. Uh, and uh, and then Bob Shearer won in, I think it was 82 or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so uh, he, uh, he uh, basically condoned that and... Um, uh, but it is it is it, it was a tough uh, gig to win uh, on a, on usually tough golf courses against hot opposition from overseas. But we had to get used to that. And uh, when when I played in America, I feel like you know I played in one of the best eras. Uh, you know, the, the, the list was never ending from Ray Floyd to Jack Nicklaus to Arnold Palmer to Gary Player to uh, you know, you can just go on with <laughs> with guys who really were good players, and uh, you had to be on song with your game, otherwise uh, you'd be an also ran. You forgot one on the way through there who you played a eighteen hole Open Championship playoff against as well on the way through. So there were so many, weren't there? Yeah, I mean uh, that was uh, a bit of a funny one. Uh, just going back to the Australian Open, in the last round I played with uh, Gary Player and Graham Marsh and uh, I got a bit raggedy, you know, towards the back end of the, the 70, the, the final round and I had a bit of trouble on that short part four dog leg right. I, I hit him in the uh, bunker off the tee, played a pretty good shot and it ran into the bunker left and I got in there, and it was straight downhill to the hole, and it was quick and firm. And I played probably one of the best bunker shots I've ever played in my life under the pump, and I just had to get it just out to have any any hope of stopping it. And, of course, player was then regarded as one of the best bunker players in the game because Norman von Neider had worked on his bunker play, and he was the best at bunker play. Anyway, I hit this shot and it just got out and it ran down to a foot from the hole and Gary Player said that that was unbelievable, Jack. And uh, uh, for him to say that, it was uh, a, a bit of a nice thank you and then I wobbled in and uh, beat the uh, marsh. Although Greg had a chance to tie playing 18 and uh, he hit it uh, about 30 feet short and right which had a big right to left swing on it and he hit it uh, four foot past and missed it coming back so uh, that meant I won so that was nice but uh, I won uh, the Buick Open in America uh, and then uh, the British Open well I don't know I've had a, obviously had some nightmares over that because I should have won in the last round uh, yeah, I think I was, you had a putt uh, on 18 to win, didn't you? Maybe 10, 12 feet, you know, just looking oh, at Oh, that was in the playoff. But, All right, okay. Uh, you know, in the in the uh, actual final round, uh, I was playing with a South African guy and uh, I was probably two in front, I reckon, playing 16, uh, which was a long par three. Uh, in those days, it was could be a three-wood or even a driver uh, with a real narrow green. And uh, I got to the tee and there was four groups waiting there to hit off and you know when you get to that stage in a tournament you really want to keep going you want to keep the momentum going you know and uh, 
So I had to sit there and basically watch these blokes from Ray Floyd to Palmer to uh, Johnny Miller to Gary Player, Jack Nicholas, and of course Tom Watson all playing in front of me because uh, I played with Nicholas in the third round and shot, I broke the course record and yeah. shot 65. And uh, Jack said to me, uh, who was very good to me, by the way, you know, when I went to America, I, I'd always spoken with him when he came to Australia and because I was playing in Europe in those early days. And uh, um, he was fantastic. Uh, I, I think he's, you know, an icon of the game, obviously, from his playing ability, but I think he's an icon for the way he carried himself and the way he handled the media and the public. Um, and uh, he said, Jack, uh, you know, although I had 69, I felt like I was taking 79 watching you put, shoot 65 today. So uh, that was a nice rap. And then, of course, following off from that, when I went to America to play the, at Augusta for the first time, uh, I asked him what ball was the right one to use in America, and he gave me uh, two boxes of his golf balls that he got from the company that he was playing under at the time. And uh, I played with Weisskopf in a practice round the next day, and as soon as I hit the ball onto the first green, he walked up and picked the ball up and said, where'd you get that from? <laughs> and I said, Jack gave me, gave me. He said, I've I represent the same bloody company and I can't get it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you mentioned uh, Augusta, Jack, and look, in the, the year that you won the Australian Open, Seve by Asteris was was in the field and you were quite good friends with Seve, I yep. understand. But in 1980 at Augusta, you finished runner-up to Seve. Uh, in the last round, I think he got something like 10 shots ahead at one point and then he had a bit of a wobble at Amen Corner and you nearly you nearly caught him and I've heard you say before that there was a bit of Spanish uh, invective coming out of his mouth <laughs> at one stage maybe at the yeah. 12th or 11th he found a bit of water I mean you ended up running second to Seve which is a nice thing I mean I know you'd like to win but it's a nice thing to have on your uh, your CV yeah well he, he was uh, when he first came out on the European tour he was only 16 or 17 and um he used to come to me and ask me to watch him hit balls or play a practice round with him, and, and uh, uh, I got on really well with him. He was a great kid and a wonderful player. A short game that was just incredible. Um, and uh, but uh, just going back to that, I, I was at the same point. He, he he taught me a lot of Spanish. Swear words. <laughs> I think I read in an article that he said that someone asked him what he said, and he said, "I said, son of a bitch." <laughs> son no, of he bitch. said more than that. Oh, did he? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, he was just on fire, and uh, when we turned to go to the back nine, he was nine in front of me, uh, and he bogeyed ten, hit it in the water on eleven, hit it in the water on twelve and thirteen. Oh, so all of a sudden. Standing on the 14th tee, he was only two in front. And all the way through from the 10th to the 14th tee, all sorts of expletives coming out of his mouth. And I knew him all because he taught me. And uh, he gets on the 14th tee and he hooks it into the pine trees on the left. And now normally with pine trees, the golf ball will drop straight down. Um, but in this case, uh, it hit the 
hit the tree and went way left out into the left-hand rough off the 15th tee, the par five down the hill. Now he's got to hit it over the top of those pine trees and had a very narrow target. And he played a, just an incredible shot. Got it just off the back left of the green. And, of course, his short game was, at that time, probably the best in the game, I'd say. And uh, he um, he tipped it down to about eight feet and hold it for par. So I thought on the next hole, the par five, I, I'd need to make eagle to catch him. And uh, hit a good drive. I had, uh, I think, a four iron to the green, and I hit it to about 20 feet right of the hole. He put his on the green, but he was on the bottom side coming up the hill. I was coming down the hill. Anyway, my putt caught the right edge of the hole and spun it out and uh, went about six foot past. I missed it coming back, and that was the end of the ball game, basically. But it was a pretty interesting back nine, I must say. It sounds like it. Hey, Jack, going back to 79 here and just looking at the other players that... um were you left in your wake? David Graham was tied ninth that year. We were lucky enough to have a really good chat with him a few weeks ago in this segment on this podcast, and we all walk away as lovers of the game and you know cognizant of what um, you know David's done with his career and just where he should sit, believing that he's probably underrated um, by the local, by, when I say local, the Australian sports community at large. Do you share that view, that we don't recognise just how great he was? Oh, look, he was a very good player. There's no doubt about it. But I don't think he helped himself with his attitude uh, to the general public in general. Um, And I I think that probably uh, negated, uh, you know, what he'd achieved in golf. uh, From where he started out in Tasmania playing left-handed switched over to right-handed and uh, and look, I've seen the guy shoot 65 and go and re-grip his putter or change something, you know, and you'd think, oh, I wouldn't do that in a fit, you know, I, I'd continue to use the gear that I use today to shoot, <laughs> to shoot low numbers and uh, uh, yeah, look, he, he, he was a bit of a different bloke uh, per se. Um and uh, maybe that had a bit of a negative effect on his, you know, love from the community. Just wasn't as warm and as engaging? Is that what, sort of what no, you... No, no, that's probably the better description. Yeah, you're right. No. What about Greg, um, Jack? You, you uh, My understanding was that when, when he first came out, you were pretty close with him. Uh, and I read yep. an article that you or an interview you did with John Huggan, the Scottish golf writer, and... Uh, you said that you thought that the money sort of got to him. You kind of witnessed this happen where you you even described a moment where you went upstairs at a bar and there were a whole bunch of women. Someone had set up some women to come up there and someone was snapping photos. Uh, yeah. try, you know, someone paparazzi-type situation. You felt like the money and fame had sort of changed him a bit did, and you ended up not as being as close to him, did you? No, no. Uh... Back a sec. Uh, I was fronted by a guy in Europe who wanted to manage me, and uh, he explained the scenario. And I went back and discussed it with Jackie and uh, my wife, and she said, "Well, I said, look, this guy could make me a lot of money, but I'm not too sure about it." And uh, she said, "Well, don't do it." 
so I rang him up two weeks later and, and went and had a meeting with him and I said, Look, uh, I'm not going to take up your offer um, for a number of reasons, which I won't go into. And he said, well, I want to manage an Australian. And I said, well, if you want to manage an Australian, there's a young guy called Greg Norman who just won a tournament in Adelaide uh, and he's got pretty plenty of ability. And uh, he said, all oh, right. Uh, who's that? I said, oh, Greg Norman. And um, so the next thing I know, he's having meetings with Norman about it. But what he said to me, he would have said to Greg, and what he said was, you have to ditch all your friends and become a loner. That's how you make the big dough. And um, that was something that I, I couldn't entertain. Um, so um, the next thing I know, he's sponsoring Greg. And typically of what he'd said to me, Greg brushed all the blokes that had helped him on the way up and uh, who were all his mates as well. And he da 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 So there was a bit of talk in the camp about why he was doing that. And so I fronted him and I said, look, mate, I said, uh, look, I know, I know the bloke because, you know, he'd, he'd asked me about managing me and, and, and to become a loner and ditch all your friends doesn't seem right to me. Does it seem right to you? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, there's the Stuart Jens and the Brian Joneses and Mike Ferguson's and myself. And uh, I said, we all regarded ourselves as mates. And then the first year he was in Europe, he travelled with me. And I tried to point out where to stay and all the rest of it. And... Uh, and uh, anyway, after a while, he, he settled down and he, he, he was angry at first, which is typical. Um, and uh, I said, look, I think you've got to change your, your plan there. I think you've got to at least support your mates. Uh, so he said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, why don't we organise to have lunch or something? Uh, all of us. Said, yeah, right. So he was staying in Packers Joint in in the in the city. <laughs> so we drove from Castle Hill to his favourite restaurant. It was one of mine too, I must say. <laughs> uh, and we walk in there, and there's a bloke from IMG there, and Brian Jones is about four foot tall, cheeky little bastard too. And he he goes, "Hey, what are you doing here, mate? Off you go, piss off." <laughs> And uh, I thought, oh, Jesus is going to be a blue ear straight off. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the bloke humbled his way out the door, and so off we went for lunch. And um, after we'd had quite a long lunch, and uh, everything was good uh, amongst everybody, and Greg played played the game pretty well, uh, we went to joint opposite the boulevard there's a little alleyway running down there and uh we decided we were going to go into this club for a few drinks before we went home and uh so we get to the front door and believe it or not there was a girl from newcastle that i knew who was uh there and uh she said hey going jack blah blah (laughs) uh yeah good and um so I said, we're going upstairs. So we went upstairs, and um, it was one of those rooms where they had, like, big cement pillars. And 
we were just having a good laugh and telling jokes and uh, a few drinks. And the next thing, this this um, boat jumps out from behind one of the pillars after these four or five birds suddenly appeared out of the blue <laughs> uh, as if we were with them, you know, and took the photo. Oh. Well, Greg did his nana and went over and said, mate, you give me that film or I'm going to smash your camera. And uh, sure enough, um, he gave him the film. Anyway, when we were leaving, because uh, after that, the whole thing ended up in a bit of a bit of a nightmare, really, particularly from his point of view. And then you start feeling sorry for him because everybody knows he is. And he got downstairs and the girl who was on the door, she, she attempts to kiss him. And there was a bloke in the alleyway who took a photo of that. And, well, Greg chased him down the alleyway and smashed his camera. Oh, uh, so that's the sort of thing he had to put up with in this country. So I think uh, in, the, in the interview that I read which, in which you told that story, you said that he ended up not being able to trust people. Yeah. That's what I you think, felt. Uh, the, you know, the, the insight into the manager... Who wanted him to be a loner, and uh, and then that sort of thing goes on. Well, uh, I agree. That's probably what did make him not trust people. Um, but surely he can trust his mates. He knows, he's known them for bloody years, and uh, uh, I just felt like you know, he was going down the wrong track. And I said the same thing to him about press. I said, Greg got to stop walking into the press room and just blurting out the first thing that comes into your head because they're going to clean you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said, well, I'm asking for the truth. I said, well, you've got to and, and, and make sure you leave yourself where some journalists will twist and turn the story and it comes out totally different to what you said. So, uh, you know, I, I, I tried to tell him that and... Uh, but he continued to go in and be an expert on everything from grasses to <laughs> the best politician in the world. <laughs> <laughs> We're not sure about his... Some of us just, for what it's worth, Jack, around this table right now, aren't quite sure of his the soundness of his political judgment, but that's for him to live with, and half the American population probably agree with him and the rest of us don't. So, um, look, it's been a joy. We've got to let you go because we're going to get a wriggle on and get out of here, but... Um, uh, thanks for being part of the show. Uh, we probably spent more time talking about other stuff. In fact, we surely did than the 79 Australian Open that you won, but um, it's surely reminded a few people who were old enough like us to remember you doing it, uh, how outstanding an achievement that was and thoroughly deserved um, by a player who represented yeah, this country so well. I wanted to New South Wales Open prior to the Australian Open and uh, you know the New South Wales Open then was probably the second best one after the Australian Open. Mm. Probably was, and uh, um, so yeah, it was uh, it was a good game. Thanks for joining us on See the show, Jack. Jack. Great to see you, Jack. Thanks. Thank you, boys. Jack Newton joining us on Inside the Ropes. 
Hi, this is Sherelle McMahon. Swing Fit is the fun, healthy, social way for women to get started in golf. You'll learn the basics of the golf swing and how to putt over a six-week program and get your whole body moving through yoga and Pilates-style exercises. You don't need any golf knowledge or equipment. Simply turn up in comfy clothing and get started. You'll be surrounded by like-minded people and receive constant support. So get outdoors, meet new friends and learn a sport that you can play for the rest of your life. To find a program visit swingfit.com.au Hi, my name is Toria New who play on the LPGA Tour and I love Vegemite but I love Cedro more than Vegemite. Welcome back to the show. There's obviously a lot of other bits and pieces that we've got to get stuck into but I reckon Jack Newton was in for the long. We could have spent another hour with Jack. Uh, caught, and he, I don't reckon he was going to miss anyone today. If we had to bolt him up, he was going to knock him over <laughs> we, the fence. I think we just scraped the surface oh, there. I like just, we, we didn't even actually get to mention his television commentary career. No. He was an outstanding yeah. television commentary and media person because he, he spoke so openly and, and his knowledge of the game was so good. He actually oh, got taken off the air at the BBC at one stage because he... Oh, he was perceived to have insulted. I think it's Alex Hay, is it? A Scottish commentator. So next thing, he wasn't working there anymore. I reckon there would have been the perception of Jack Newton that he would have upset and insulted a lot of people along the way, and he would have just been calling it as he saw it. Yeah. Uh, we, I'll ask you to get him back. He's actually really busy because of all his commitments with mm. the junior golf. He's just a passionate bloke. I, I love him for it. You know, he's got a, he's got Australian golf at the forefront of his mind and right in his heart. A lot of other bits and pieces we need to get to before we wind it up today. But there's a great story, Hazy, that you've uh, brought to our attention out of the uh, the famous Oatlands Golf Club. Um, tell us about it. Well, this is one of the stories that really warms our hearts, Andy. Uh, it's a, and this is what ultimately golf is all about. Um, and we're lucky to have John Bolster join us on the phone now. Uh, we'll get into the nuts and bolts of it. But, John, welcome along. You've got a very special story to tell us about the uh, the Long Markers Club Championship at the Oatlands Golf Club. Yes, I have. I have got it. Well, I'm 83 years of age. I love my golf. And uh, at 83, I love match play. And I... I decided this year that I'd have another go at the match play. For the, at 83, you don't get many opportunities. As it turned out, in the second round, I was drawn to play against this lovely little kid, nine years of age. Wow. And he stands up. He comes up to about my waist. Christian Rees is his name. Christian, yes. Yeah. He's a lovely kid. And he's a, a very talented golfer. He's got a beautiful swing for a nine-year-old. He's going to be good. He really is. He's a, his dad is a very good golfer. And uh, I'm involved with the, the juniors at Oakland, so I'd like to promote them as much as I possibly can. And this has been great. You know, I think it's good for the kids. They love this sort of thing, and uh, it's good for the club. But oh. golf is a, is a game, as I've said once before, that uh, it's, uh, it's a game where... How many other games can you play in an 83-year-old compete against a 9-year-old? It's a 74-year no. gap between no. the competitors. That's unbelievable. Don't, don't, don't keep reminding me. It's <laughs> extraordinary. Now, with the 74-year yeah. gap, and you're on the wrong side of that, I guess we'd have to say, uh, yeah, yeah, do you yeah. get a bit nervous when you're teeing it up, you stand on the first tee and you're playing against the guy 74 years younger? I couldn't even see him. I thought I was going to. Did you have a laugh him. about it with him? Uh, oh yes. No, he's not. He wasn't a kid who was laughing much. He's a very oh, serious, serious little boy. Okay. Oh yeah, my very word. You know, he he wanted to play his golf, and that was that. You know, and uh, as for conceding putts, he very rarely did he ever concede their putts. <laughs> <laughs> had father, to get it within six inches. Didn't well, yes, his father was caddying, and he'd say to him, "Give it a jot, give it a jot." <laughs> Anyhow, did you try and explain the finer points of match play to him? 
Yes, he did. Yeah, right. He, look, he's a he's an intelligent little kid. He uh, he played a match on the, the on Sunday. Well, that, our match was on the Saturday. And played one of those intercompany matches, inter-club matches, and he won his event seven and six. So he's really talented. He's a really talented kid. So you pushed him around a bit for your victory then? Oh, I did. Yeah, somebody said that was a good thing for him, and he got all cranky on the next day and annihilated this other poor <laughs> little kid. <laughs> John, tell yeah. us a bit about Oatlands Inner Western Sydney. I believe it's the home club of Peter Lonard. Correct. Yeah, that's pro. right. That's right. What sort of Peter course Lonard, is Peter Lonard was the pro there when I happened to be president, actually. So mm. I knew Peter pretty well. He's a it's, great look, man, it's, Peter it's, a, it's what I call a, a great members club. It's not a championship golf course by any means, but it's not easy either. It's very difficult. The Greens are renowned amongst the top uh, amateur golfers. They all know that when they get to Oakland, they're going to have, have trouble on the Greens. They're very fast Greens. and Look, it's a great course. I've been there for 42 years, so that's that. So, John, that's, that's, John is, I'm just doing some quick maths in my head, but... It, do you think Christian's got any concept of what 1934 is? I wouldn't think so. <laughs> I really wouldn't think so. No. No, no. Would you think they wouldn't? Well, how about no. you? Have you got any concept of what 1934 is? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just struggling to answer that with a straight face. Hey, yeah, John, let that one go to the keeper, mate. Yeah. Hey, John, one question I would, I'd love to ask you, given the fact that you've been so committed to the game and you've you know, been on the committee there in Oatlands before as president, and I imagine in other roles as well, yeah. do you think that by and large golf clubs are doing enough to, to welcome new players in, particularly younger players? Yeah, look, it's a it's a vexing question that, and golf is really going through a very hard time. I think it's a matter of economics as much as anything. We at Oatlands have got a good membership, but it rolls over very quickly, annually, annually. We have a program going where you introduce players at a reasonable cost to them, um, which means that actually the first year or two they pay very little, very little. But after that, you know, reality sets in, and I think wives and small children and you lose those kids and you lose those young men and it's uh, it's well it's not a game that a lot of people can afford to play either yeah, it's many, a... many of the clubs around sydney are you know four or five six thousand dollars a year uh, it's and, definitely uh, there's a couple of issues in there that are clubs all over the place not only in new south wales are grappling with um I'm you're sure. not you knocked over the young fella in the quarterfinal i think am i right in saying that that's correct how'd yeah. you go in the semi-final that's on saturday next and how old um, how old's a uh, bloke you're playing that week this is what I call the sublime to the ridiculous. <laughs> this this little fellow of nine years of age who weighs I don't know what, not too many k's, and uh, I'm, I'm sure my opponent, uh, thinks that they won't mind me saying this, but he weighs about 28 stone. Oh, so, oh wow! I've, I've gone from the sublime to the ridiculous, haven't I? <laughs> well, you won't be crushing that bloke on the first tee, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> can't even get in the same car as him. He's a lovely boy. He's a lovely fella. Uh, lovely good, fella. Good luck. Uh, it's an amazing, it's a remarkable story, and we're um, delighted yeah, to you. have had you tell us a bit about it on the show. Well, thank you very much. It's, uh, it's good, and uh, thanks. So I thank all the members of Oakland's Golf Club, and I want everyone to, everyone who plays golf, please enjoy it and look look after the young kids. They're, they're lovely. These kids, and just look after them. That's a thanks really good message, John. Yeah. Good luck on the weekend. Thanks for the thanks for your time. Thank you very much indeed. G'day, I'm MyGolf Ambassador Jason Day. I'm really excited to be an ambassador for MyGolf, Australian Golf's national junior program, jointly run by Golf Australia and the PGA. MyGolf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. 
It's all about teaching children the basic skills of golf in a safe and healthy environment. And just as importantly, about the life skills that golf can teach you that distinguish our sport from the rest. Remember to visit mygolf.org.au for more information. G'day, this is David Graham, and you are Inside the Ropes. That is a great yarn for anyone. But uh, anyone who's got any of these stories out there, there's a million of them around these clubs. Go on to Twitter at Inside the Ropes. Is, what's the Twitter In, handle? Inside, inside the underscore Inside, inside the underscore ropes. And let us know about them because uh, we, we want them. We want them. I, I hear here, and, and just further to the point he's made before we get on to the last couple of bits and pieces, in, in terms of golf clubs making themselves more accessible to the changing demographic and the changing type of player, I was talking to a club member this week whose club is uh, being developed at the moment. They've built, they're doing some renovations. And he's uh, late 30, he's got a young family, time poor, wants to play more golf. And put a proposal to this golf club suggesting that maybe they should think about, as well as having the bridge room and the bars and the this and the that, maybe they should think about having, and it's a big club, a lot of money, maybe they should think about having a, a kids area so that if the father wanted to come along and play his golf on his Saturday and he could bring the kid along and there are other young fathers you know, thinking the same thing but they wanted to bring their kids along, they could not necessarily a pure crèche per se, but have a kids area where a nanny could come along or a, you know, a, a, somebody to look after the kids for the four hours while you're playing your game of golf. You go out and play. The kids have a great time face painting and doing some arts and crafts and in a special part of the golf club. Um, everybody's a winner. The mum has the morning off. She can go and hang out, have a cup of coffee, or she can go and play golf herself, whatever she mm. wants to do. And everyone's a winner, and the family comes back together. Look, I'll meet you after, and we'll pick the kids up. We'll have lunch. We'll go home, do whatever. Club, the bloke reckons the club gave it zero consideration. Wow. It was thrown out before it was even... And to my way of thinking... If you want to keep that type of player, and we're sort of not too far away, we're sort of in that demographic. If you want to keep that player active, engaged, involved in your golf club, that's what you need to be doing, that sort of stuff. Surely that's the challenge. I learnt um, golf at the Tawantan Noosa Golf Club, Andy, when I was um, seven or eight. And uh, they had a five-hole competition as a starting point once you got good enough to actually get on the course. Then a nine-hole competition. It was played opposite the you know, the normal 18-hole Saturday afternoon competition and there were five-cent raspberries back in the clubhouse that you could go and have. And that club spawned offices, um, tickles, bowditches, uh, rostrans, all these great Australian players come out of that little um, community where kids are welcomed into the club. Um, I couldn't agree with you more. It's a shock, Hazy, to hear you talk about uh, attracting people to golf and it had to include food in that conversation. <laughs> Terrible that's, shock. Oh, that's a cheapie. I'll have to wear that. Hey, uh, is a Evan, uh, Evan Priest, who uh, is the golf writer for AAP uh, in the States and also does some work for Golf Digest here in Australia, did, uh, did a fan around all the top Australian pros a couple of weeks ago and it was in, published in the Golf Digest uh, just recently and he asked all our top pros what, uh, they thought were the best ideas for uh, bringing young people back to golf. Mm. And one of the things that came through uh, from Jeff Ogilvy, Adam Scott, Jason Day, et cetera, was par three courses. Of course. Par three courses yeah. where, where kids can just go out and play. And Are there any here? Are there, well, 
There's oh, a, I'm not sure. Oh, Studley Park, there's one there, but as Clates was Melbourne, talking about yeah. this a couple of weeks ago, it's kind of not even really a go. It's like a park with why a do, Why don't people it. start opening par three courses? Well, the Dunes, the Dunes has got the, the sure. cup course. You know, oh, Bowen a, Heads has got one here in Victoria yeah, as well. You know, mm. it's not a par three course. It's a proper little golf oh, course. Oh, that's right, yeah. But, but it's generous mm. and it's not impossible to play and... Um, you know, this should. I agree with you. Pretty you know? simple idea. Yep, yep. But just from John, like the, the bottom line there is game for life. Yeah. Get involved and you can play until you, you know, until the day you can't swing a club. Speaking of golf journos, uh, Blakey, um, just in general business mm. before we wrap it up, <laughs> uh, Jeff Shackelford, who's been on this show on occasions, um, has been locked. It's been a, it's been a cross Pacific uh, ding dong stoush. It has been this week. Jeff Shackelford taking on. Uh, one front, Mark Allen, and on the other front, Lucas Herbert. Have we been following that on Twitter this week? I did a little bit, Hazy, a little bit more so than me. But uh, for those that don't know about this, Jeff Shackelford's been on a one-man campaign recently about backstopping uh, in pro golf where you hit a ball, uh, hit your ball close to the flag, and rather than getting up onto the green and marking it, leave it there, which uh, the other player can then possibly use it as a bit of a backstop. So he thinks there's a bit of a conspiracy theory. Uh, Lucas Herbert, Hazy, uh, who's obviously a Victor- young Victorian pro, uh, thinks that it's more about pace of play. Yeah, and paraphrasing his response to Shaq's ongoing argument was, you know, the pros are criticised about pace of play, pros do something about it, pros get criticised about cheating. So that was the upshot of the conversation went on and on and on. And there were some other great uh, thoughts there from Lucas is, you know, free thinker and, and, and speaks his mind, which, he? yeah, he really is. He's a great character. Uh, and, you know, to be followed on Twitter <laughs> at, at LH Golf 5. But, um, yeah, look, Shaq had a bit more of a, I'd, I'd say that one was a bit more heartfelt and warm than the one he had with Marco, Andy. It was, mm. got a bit heated. It did. It did. And Marco was very much, give me a spell. I mean, you know, what do you, how, we can't win. Um, we can't win. We're basically, we're lamps to the slaughter with you bikes, no matter what issue you want to pick us up on. Uh, look, we'll all have our views on this. There's the standard the walk that you walk past is the standard you accept. And I, I see both sides of this debate. This will not be a real issue until it's an issue. It'll happen one day. Hmm. It'll happen one day. And it'll have a significant impact. So a impact pro's going to hit out of a bunker. Well, it'll, it'll, hit the, it'll hit the other ball. It nearly happened in yeah. China. It happened, it, the reason it was sharp this week was because hmm. of the HSBC champions. And um, Stenson left his ball behind the hole. Hmm. Kapka's one shot behind Johnson, who's unravelling. Johnson's got a bunker shot front left. Now, he could have easily half Skinny that bunker shot past the hole. Mm. It's it's a thousand to one. It's a thousand to one that it's going to happen. But mm. if it does happen, it stops Johnson's ball. Stenson gets to replace his. Kepka's on the back of the green watching it unfold. Going, if it happens, he goes lang on. That ball's going to go forty feet past the past the hole. Instead, you're getting a drop. Yeah. Your ball's come to a standstill six feet past the hole. I'm locked in a battle with you. Justin Rose is further ahead and ends up winning the top. So look. It, it isn't an issue until it happens. And you watch when it happens, and it will happen one of these days. Absolutely, mm. London to a brick, it will. And you watch the game blow up when it does. Someone yeah. will – I think I think there'll be a, a reaction to it. So um, Justin Rose, good segue. He was eight back in that tournament in Shanghai. He was eight back at one point of the final day, and thanks to Dustin Johnson's meltdown – uh, I don't know whether it was a total meltdown. I mean, he he never had any worse than bogey all That's day. Right, he just yeah. did not make a putt all day. So he ends up shooting 77. And I think uh, you tweeted during the week that they had to mention the Greg Norman Augusta oh, story because yeah. he, he led <laughs> by six through three rounds. And 
I believe that's only the second or third time in a you know in a US tour event, including the Masters '96, Greg Norman, uh, where a player has led by six and lost, or sorry, a world number one player yeah, exactly. has led by six yep. and lost. So that was pretty amazing, Hazy. It, it was amazing, and you know, ten shot swing plus five for his round, minus five for Justin Rose. That's uh, mm. is you'd, there, you'd watch a lot of golf until you see that happen again. Is there a, is there a more um, gut wrenching experience for a sports fan to watch a good player unravel in a golf tournament like that? It's a train wreck in slow it's motion. It's hard to watch, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's you know, if you see someone play an ambitious shot in cricket. It, it happens like that, and it's done. But in golf, it can drag on for two and a half hours. And it's written all over the. You John, could see it. You could see it on Johnson's face, couldn't you? He was more yeah. animated than you ever. Like he is an automaton. You mm, get yeah. nothing out of DJ ever. Mm, yeah. But on this, he was animated as he ever is, and you could see the anxiety was creeping in. And you're right; he only had three bogeys on the back nine, but he wasn't making shots that he normally... The swing looked different. Not looked one birdie hesitant. all day. No. Not one birdie in no. a round. I'd love to look back through the stats and look at that. How often that happened? Not very often. Jason Day finished tied 11th uh, on his way to the Emirates Australian Open. Hazy, he's dipped out of the top 10 in the world for the first time in about three years, I think. He's mm-hmm. number 11 in the world, even though he, he actually played pretty well that week. He's, he's he's going okay, Jason, without winning. Yeah, I don't think he's playing 72 full holes. No. Right. I think he's flashing in and out. We're in... We look back at that uh, 2015 stretch when he won the US PGA Championship and absolutely dominated, like from start to finish. You know, he was on top of his game, very rarely made a mental mistake. He's making them not hand over fist right now, but just with enough frequency to keep him out of the winner's circle because his good stuff's good. I wonder whether he could come back to the Australian at the end of this month, win that event, first time he's ever won the Australian Open, and maybe it could sort of kick starting oh, for next year like Spieth did the year that he came yeah, out and won. That be first awesome. year. Yeah. Um, we, saw, we saw more of you, Hazy, <laughs> on the TV coverage of the Asia Pacific <laughs> Championship, Amateur Championship, and we did the eventual winner or runner-up or third-place getter, fourth, fifth, sixth, or top ten. We saw more of you on the coverage that day. Well done on your attempt to find Minwoo's ball. <laughs> Uh, you no luck, unfortunately. Uh-huh. Um, but it was a again. This is a great event. This the, I love. I've got to say, I, I don't know you blokes, but I love watching this tournament. I think it's compelling. Uh, the Asia Pacific Amateur Championship, in its ninth ninth staging at Royal Wellington, um, has grown immeasurably. Mm. It, it, the crowds around the New Zealand crowd came out, not only supporting the local guys who weren't realistically in contention at any stage. They were six deep up and down the last fairway. It's great. It was absolutely phenomenal. It was like a big pro tournament. Um, what the, about the finish by Yusin Lin? Yeah, Yusin well, Lin. do we talk about personal experiences here? We probably do. We, we're hearts. pretty self-indulgent. <laughs> On the, Some more than others. So it's yeah, par, five and he, <laughs> far, par five and he's hit it to what? Six feet. Yeah, so he, so he, already, he already was probably going to win, but... To finish it off, second oh, shot on a par five. He's he's stood on the 17th tee, equal with his countryman, Yushin Lin, 17 years old, left-hander from Beijing, and he hits a driver 325 metres, 325 metres, <laughs> pin high, chips it to a foot, kicks it in, he's one up. Uh, he hits a booming drive down the 18th, a par five, and then watches his mate Zhang again hit the front of the green for two. So he's got an eagle putt to sort of, you know, it's it's tense. This is fully tense with a Masters and an open spot on the line. And from 216 yards, so what are we talking? That's 197-ish metres. Just rips a little five iron inside three feet. That's beautiful. Uh, it was 
one of the best shots you'll ever see from anyone in that situation and just knocked in the eagle putt. So on the Monday, Andy, I got to play the course. Uh, and I went to that very spot, sought the, got the laser rangefinder out, sought his divot, put it down, hit a five iron, and I flushed it. I could not have hit it better. And I was approximately, again, we lasered it 28 metres short of where he finished. Wow. And he's just a little unit. And he's coming to the Australian to play his second Australian Open, would you believe it, at the age of 17 from Beijing. Well, I didn't realise he well, was coming. Well, that's great. Yeah, it's fantastic. That and, is awesome. And and last year he um, he just went, he told me from, they speak perfect English, mm. the th- first, second and equal third guys, all from China, they're which all is, which college, is awesome. College golf in America, aren't they? All uh, yeah, most of them are. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he and he's committed to the USC, but only from 2019. He's still got he's still got a year and a bit of high school is left. Is that right? Yeah, uh, he came out last year. Um, he speaks perfect English, and didn't leave anywhere but the hotel or the golf course. And this year, I've pro- I said to him, "Well, you need to go and experience Sydney." Yeah. And he's got his eyes lit Might up come all out around. Night out with us. That'd be a good Murray. idea. Now uh, we'll take him. We'll show we'll him. What, what Australian public. Mike slot. Clayton along and John Hogan. <laughs> I don't think he's oh, up yeah. for that much. Oh, Huggy's so, been busy this week. We'll get to that in a moment. So when we're leaving, he's, he's sold on Bondi. Just so you know, oh, okay. he's he's dead keen on getting down to Bondi. <laughs> so when we leave, finished third. <laughs> Travis Smythe uh, was back in the field, but he's now turning pro. Uh, what what was the summation of the Australian? The summation was they didn't have their A game when it counted the most, if I'm being perfectly blunt. And they would all say that if they were here. They played reasonably well without shining. And for these guys, this has been the grand final, depending on what football code you follow around Australia. Um, you know, you've got something you need to do at the end of the season. This was it, and they didn't get it done. So it's a disappointing week in the reality because, you know, as good as Travis Smythe's year has been, and it has been exceptional. You know, he's won a, a tour event on the Australasian Tour uh, he finished really high up in the US Am. He's done a heap of things. He's finished his amateur career ranked number eleven in the world. Mm. He's gutted because um, you know this was his grand well, final. We spoke to him about it. He was yeah. so geared up for this event, wasn't he? You know, yeah. yeah. And, and, and full credit to Minwoo Lee for running third with what he described maybe at best as his B minus game. He probably played his C game by his standards. Uh, he had three or four hot holes on Friday, which met his expectations. Other than that, didn't really fire a shot. And I look, I love them all dearly because they're they're great young fellas above golfers. Uh, so they were flat, Andy, to be answering your question. And um, you know, the disappointed China's now got three of these things: Korea two, Japan two, Australia two. So it's far from a walk in the park that we perhaps might have hoped it could be hey, for our boys and girls. The region keeps getting stronger, not in the round ball. Like in, in just about every sporting endeavour, the region is getting stronger yeah. and stronger, which is great. I mean, we have to if we're going to be competing against them in tournaments like this, yep. then we need to up our game. You and know? Just, just for the record, as we you know try and put all aspects of golf into this podcast, they announced during the week that there'd be a women's uh, Asia Pacific amateur for the oh, first time fantastic. next year, which is um, probably a little overdue, and but fantastic nonetheless. Uh, at Sentosa in Singapore next next Great. February, I want to say, and the prizes for that are going to be a start in the next week's tournament straight after in Singapore. Might even be at the same course at Sentosa. Then a start in the Women's British Open and a start in the oh. Evian Championship. So two majors and a, and another big money tournament. So huge incentive for our girls and. Probably the exact opposite of what I was just mentioning. They need to lift to compete against oh, well, the Koreans no, in particular. No, no, no. So this is going to be great. It's going to be a great thing for our region. Blakey, quick word on uh, from a domestic perspective. The Queensland Open was run and won on the last weekend. And a name who I think we're all hoping he can rekindle 
um, you know, his very, very best was standing at the top of the heap at the end of the at the end of the weekend. Great story, Michael Sim winning that that event uh, at, at you know in, in Brisbane last week. He's thirty three years of age, Hazy. I mean, I, I looked this up during the week in two thousand and nine. Michael Sim was ranked thirty four in the world. Oh, thirty four in the world. Last week he came into the event. He's eight hundred and sixty third. He's just had a terrible tough time to recreate what he what he was as an amateur and even, back, even when he was a young pro, his back yeah he's yeah. had back injuries he's just hasn't been able to get it together 33 now got a kid coming uh, pretty soon you know maybe he's going to get it together because he was very highly regarded when he was 19 20 21 years of age well let's hope so because he's a, he, I mean at his best back in those days he was he was Hashtag golden era. Yeah. He was potentially he was the flag bearer. Yeah. You know, like he was. And Christy really Kerr, Andy. I should mention Christy Absolutely. Kerr. Uh, the LPGA Tour is a young woman's tour by and large. I mean, it, you know, a lot of the the best players out there. You know, they're only twenty one, twenty two, mm. two years of age. But Christy Kerr, at forty years of age, rolls in a thirty five footer on the last hole to win the Syme Derby in Kuala Lumpur. So. That, that's a pretty awesome performance. She she walked it in too, which is Christy Kerr's thing. She's one of the best putters you'd ever see. And Sarah Jane Smith uh, was our top Aussie, tied 13th. And Sarah Jane Smith had a pretty solid year. They're in yes. Japan this week, the LPGA Tour. Minji Lee and Suo, and that'll be playing. And they're about two weeks away from the Tour Championships. So uh, we've got about four Australians are in the mix there mm. to, to play in the Tour Championships. So that and was just, good. And just while we're on the women's professional game, uh, last week... A team announcement for the ALPG, so that includes the New Zealand girls as well, announced to play in the Queen's Cup. And Australia sending and New Zealand is sending a ripping team to uh, compete in Nagoya. I think it's probably the same weekend as the Australian PGA Championship, first mm-hmm. to third of December. Um, but Kari Webb's playing. Catherine Kirk, Sarah Jane Smith, uh, Hannah Green, Whitney Hillier, Stacey Peters, and um, Sarah Kemp which is fantastic, and also Catherine Bristow from New Zealand. So ALPG girls have sent a strong good. unit. Yeah, good. Yeah, that it, does sound like a good team. Yeah. Just on the – did you say Ron – is it Ron Sirac or Ron Sirac? Sirac. Sirac. See his tweet read Mo Martin? He put out a tweet regarding Mo Martin. No, I didn't see this. Uh, on the LPGA um, tour this season, she's hit – think about these numbers for all of us who have got the lefts or rights off the should be a straight team. driving stat. 1,083 tee shots she's hit this year. She's missed – 157 fairways. So 1,083 tee shots she's hit. She's missed the fairway 157 times. That doesn't that and make she, angry. She is a cracking person, Mo Martin. I oh, think Casey, yeah. we, we played in a, a pro-am with her at Victoria a few years ago. She's just a terrific person. She hit one of the best shots you'd ever see in a Women's British Open a couple of years ago. Three wood to the last hole. It nearly went in to win to win it, so... She's she as good is a, a straight hitter. She yeah. is. Not a long hitter, but she's a straight hitter. As good a golfer as she is, she's a better human. She's oh, the uh, golf magazine rankings came out during the course rankings, world course rankings during the week, Andy. I, I never take too much of them, uh, you know, because they're sort of, by nature, they're kind of biased towards what whatever courses the main the judges go to and stuff. But, uh, you know, Royal Melbourne West, number 11, Kingston Heath, 20. There's quite a few Australians in the... Courses in the top 100, uh, Cape Wickham's in there, New South Wales number 43, Barn Boogle 38, so Pine Valley's on top and Cypress Point. Okay, just last one, we see that the announcer during the week that, was it during the week that Australian Opens 2020-2022 will be played in Victoria? No, it uh, might in, have been a few podcasts ago. 
Oh, I beg your pardon. Oh, did, was I here when that was mentioned? We touched on that one. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. He's Missed. lost it, hasn't yeah, he? No, 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 just, he's, a, he's away in Hollywood. Oh, I, yeah, I've been a bit busy lately. <laughs> uh, any, did you make any nominations as to which courses should... Well, actually, we mentioned one that's very dear to your heart, and I think Clates was in that week, and we were talking about Peninsula yeah, being go. keen to get it. Do you, is that, you, oh, it'd be a magnificent venue for it. Close off one course for parking oh, and, no. and uh, it'd be a very, logistics. Very, yep. No, uh, I don't good. know. Look, they're not going to struggle for somewhere to play. They are not going to struggle. I'll just shut up then and mm. make sure I well, listen to every podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll say it because you probably can't without being seen to be biased, but Andy Blakey took me down to Peninsula a few couple of weeks ago. My first hit ever on the south course. And I will say that they are the best greens I've ever played on. Mm. So, and that includes the other sandbelt courses. It, they are unbelievable. Yeah, well, I'm still waiting for my invitation. No, I just but... said to you, we'll have a go. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. before we okay. come on here. <laughs> uh, that's it. We are done. Uh, hopefully, you've enjoyed Jack, uh, Jack Newton as much as we have. Uh, it's been good talking some golf with a couple of men who love the game. Uh, I'll see you next time, Hazy Blakey. Thanks, Murray. Good to be right. part of it again. Inside Ropes, Ep 24, done and dusted. We'll see you next time, folks.